Section 29 of Mark Twain's Autobiography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. New York, January 10th, 1906. I have to make several speeches within the next two or three months, and I have been obliged to make a few speeches during the last two months, and all of a sudden it is borne in upon me that people who go out that way to make speeches at gatherings of one kind or another, and at social banquets particularly, put themselves to an unnecessary amount of trouble often in the way of preparation. As a rule, your speech at a social banquet is not an important part of your equipment for that occasion, for the reason that as a rule the banquet is merely given to celebrate some event of merely momentary interest, or to do honor to some guest of distinction, and so there is nothing of large consequence, nothing, I mean, that one should feel bound to concentrate himself upon in talking upon such an occasion, whereas the really important matter, perhaps, is that the speaker make himself reasonably interesting while he is on his feet, and avoid wearying and exasperating the people who are not privileged to make speeches, and also not privileged to get out of the way when other people begin so common charity for those people should require that the speaker make some kind of preparation instead of going to the place absolutely empty the person who makes frequent speeches can't afford much time for their preparation and he probably goes to that place empty just as i am in the habit of doing proposing to gather texts from other unprepared people who are going to speak before he speaks. Now it is perfectly true that if you can get yourself located along about number three, and from that lower down on the program, it can be depended on with certainty that one or another of those previous speakers will furnish all the texts needed. In fact, you are likely to have more texts than you do need, and so they can become an embarrassment. You would like to talk to all of those texts, and of course that is a dangerous thing. You should choose one of them and talk to that one, and it is a hundred to one that before you have been on your feet two minutes you will wish you had taken the other you will get away from the one you have chosen because you will perceive that there was another one that was better. I am reminded of this old, old fact in my experience by what happened the other night at The Players, where twenty-two of my friends of ancient days in the Players Club gave me a dinner. Note, it was at this dinner that the idea of the biography which led to these dictations developed. In testimony of their satisfaction in having me back again, 
after an absence of three years occasioned by the stupidity of the board of management of that club a board which had been in office ever since the founding of the club and if it were not the same old board that they had in the beginning it amounted to the same because they must have been chosen from time to time from the same asylum that had furnished the original board on this occasion brander matthews was chairman and he opened the proceedings with an easy and comfortable and felicitous speech brander is always prepared and competent when he is going to make a speech then he called up gilder who came empty and probably supposed he was going to be able to fill from brander's tank whereas he struck a disappointment he labored through and sat down not entirely defeated but a good deal crippled frank millet painter was next called up he struggled along through his remarks exhibiting two things one that he had prepared and couldn't remember the details of his preparation and the other that his text was a poor text in his talk the main sign of preparation was that he tried to recite two considerable batches of poetry good poetry but he lost confidence and turned it into bad poetry by bad recitation sculpture was to have been represented and saint gaudin had accepted and had promised a speech but at the last moment he was not able to come and a man who was thoroughly unprepared had to get up and make a speech in saint gaudin's place he did not hit upon anything original or disturbing in his remarks and in fact they were so tottering and hesitating and altogether commonplace that really he seemed to have hit upon something new and fresh when he finished by saying that he had not been expecting to be called upon to make a speech i could have finished his speech for him i had heard it so many times those people were unfortunate because they were thinking that is millet and gilder were all the time that matthews was speaking they were trying to keep in mind the little preparations which they had made and this prevented them from getting something new and fresh in the way of a text out of what brander was saying in the same way millet was still thinking about his preparation while gilder was talking and so he overlooked possible texts furnished by gilder but as i had asked matthews to put me last on the list of speakers i had all the advantages possible to the occasion for i came without a text and these boys furnished plenty of texts for me because my mind was not absorbed in trying to remember my preparations they didn't exist i spoiled in a degree brander's speech because his speech had been prepared with direct reference to introducing me the guest of the occasion 
and he had to turn that all around and get out of it which he did very gracefully explaining that his speech was a little lopsided and wrong end first because i had asked to be placed last in the list of speakers i had a plenty good enough time because gilder had furnished me a text brander had furnished me a text millet had furnished me a text these texts were fresh hot from the bat and they produced the same eager disposition to take hold of them and talk that they would have produced in ordinary conversation around a table in a beer mill now then i know how banquet speeches should be projected because i have been thinking over this matter this is my plan where it is merely a social banquet for a good time such as the one which i am to attend in washington on the twenty seventh where the company will consist of the membership of the gridiron club newspaper correspondence exclusively i think with as guests the president and vice-president of the united states and two others certainly that is an occasion where a person will be privileged to talk about any subject except politics and theology and even if he is asked to talk to a toast he needn't pay any attention to the toast but talk about anything now then the idea is this to take the newspaper of that day or the newspaper of that evening and glance over the headings in the telegraphic page a perfect bonanza of texts you see i think a person could pull that day's newspaper out of his pocket and talk that company to death before he would run out of material if it were today you have the morris incident and that reminds me how unexciting the morris incident will be two or three years from now maybe six months from now and yet what an irritating thing it is today and has been for the past few days it brings home to one this large fact that the events of life are mainly small events they only seem large when we are close to them by and by they settle down and we see that one doesn't show above another they are all about one general low altitude and inconsequential if you should set down every day by shorthand as we are doing now the happenings of the previous day with the intention of making out of the massed result an autobiography it would take from one to two hours and from that to four hours to set down the autobiographical matter of that one day and the result would be a consumption of from five to forty thousand words it would be a volume now one must not imagine that because it has taken all day tuesday to write up the autobiographical matter of monday there will be nothing to write on wednesday no there will be just as much to write on wednesday as monday had furnished for tuesday 
and that is because life does not consist mainly or even largely of facts and happenings it consists mainly of the storm of thoughts that is forever blowing through one's head could you set them down stenographically no could you set down any considerable fraction of them stenographically no fifteen stenographers hard at work couldn't keep up therefore a full autobiography has never been written and it never will be it would consist of three hundred and sixty-five double-size volumes per year and so if i had been doing my whole autobiographical duty ever since my youth all the library buildings on the earth could not contain the result i wonder what the morris incident will look like in history fifty years from now consider these circumstances that here at our own doors the mighty insurance upheaval has not settled down to a level yet even yesterday and day before the discredited millionaire insurance magnates had not all been flung out and buried from sight under the maledictions of the nation but some of the mccurdys mccalls hydes and alexanders were still lingering in positions of trust such as directorships in banks also we have today the whole nation's attention centered upon the standard oil corporation the most prodigious commercial force existing upon the planet all the american world are standing breathless and wondering if the standard oil is going to come out of its missourian battle crippled and if crippled how much crippled also we have congress threatening to overhaul the panama canal commission to see what it has done with the fifty-nine millions and to find out what it proposes to do with the recently added eleven millions also there are three or four other matters of colossal public interest on the board today and on the other side of the ocean we have church and state separated in france we have a threat of war between france and germany upon the morocco question we have a crushed revolution in russia with the czar and his family of thieves the grand dukes recovering from their long fright and beginning to butcher the remnants of the revolutionaries in the old confident way that was the russian way in former days for three centuries we have china furnishing a solemn and awful mystery nobody knows what it is but we are sending three regiments in a hurry from the philippines to china under the generalship of funston the man who captured aguinaldo by methods which would disgrace the lowest blatherskite that is doing time in any penitentiary nobody seems to know what the chinese mystery is but everybody seems to think that a giant convulsion is impending there that is the menu as it stands today these are the things which offer themselves to the world's attention today apparently 
they are large enough to leave no space for smaller matters yet the morris incident comes up and blots the whole thing out the morris incident is making a flurry in congress and for several days now it has been rioting through the imagination of the american nation and setting every tongue afire with excited talk this autobiography will not see the light of print until after my death i do not know when that is going to happen and do not feel a large interest in the matter anyway it may be some years yet but if it does not occur within the next three months i am confident that by that time the nation encountering the morris incident in my autobiography would be trying to remember what the incident was and not succeeding that incident which is so large today will be so small three or four months from now it will then have taken its place with the abortive russian revolution and these other large matters and nobody will be able to tell one from the other by difference of size this is the morris incident a mrs morris a lady of culture refinement and position called at the white house and asked for a moment's conversation with president roosevelt mr barnes one of the private secretaries declined to send in her card and said that she couldn't see the president that he was busy she said she would wait barnes wanted to know what her errand was and she said that some time ago her husband had been dismissed from the public service and she wanted to get the president to look into his case barnes finding that it was a military case suggested that she go to the secretary of war she said she had been to the war office but could not get admission to the secretary she had tried every means she could think of but had failed now she had been advised by the wife of a member of the cabinet to ask for a moment's interview with the president well without going into a multiplicity of details the general result was that barnes still persisted in saying that she could not see the president and he also persisted in inviting her in the circumstances to go away she was quiet but she still insisted on remaining until she could see the president then the morris incident happened at a sign from barnes a couple of policemen on guard there rushed forward and seized this lady and began to drag her out of the place she was frightened and screamed barnes says she screamed repeatedly and in a way which aroused the whole white house though nobody came to see what was happening this might give the impression that this was something that was happening six or seven times a day since it didn't cause any excitement but this was not so barnes has been a private secretary long enough to work his imagination probably and that accounts for some of the screaming though the lady did some of it herself as she concedes the woman was dragged out of the white house she says that in the course of dragging her along the roadway her clothes were soiled with mud 
and some of them stripped in rags from her back a negro gathered up her ankles and so relieved her from contact with the ground he supporting her by the ankles and the two policemen carrying her at the other end they conveyed her to a place apparently a police station of some kind a couple of blocks away and she was dripping portmonies and keys and one thing or another along the road and honest people were picking them up and fetching them along barnes entered a charge against her of insanity apparently the police inspector regarded that as rather a serious charge and as he probably had not had one like it before and did not quite know how it ought to be handled he would not allow her to be delivered to her friends until she had deposited five dollars in his till no doubt this was to keep her from disappearing from the united states and he might want to take up this serious charge presently and thresh it out that lady still lies in her bed at the principal hotel in washington disabled by the shock and naturally very indignant at the treatment which she has received but her calm and mild unexcited and well-worded account of her adventure is convincing evidence that she was not insane even to the moderate extent of five dollars worth there you have the facts it is as i have said for a number of days they have occupied almost the entire attention of the american nation they have swept the russian revolution out of sight the china mystery and all the rest of it it is this sort of thing which makes the right material for an autobiography you set the incident down which for the moment is to you the most interesting if you leave it alone three or four weeks you wonder why you ever thought of setting such a thing down it has no value no importance the champagne that made you drunk with delight or exasperation at the time has all passed away it is stale but that is what human life consists of little incidents and big incidents and they are all of the same size if you let them alone an autobiography that leaves out the little things and enumerates only the big ones is no proper picture of the man's life at all his life consists of his feelings and his interests with here and there an incident apparently big or little to hang the feelings on that morris incident will presently have no importance whatever and yet the biographer of president roosevelt will find it immensely valuable if he will consider it examine it and be sagacious enough to perceive that it throws a great deal of light upon the president's character certainly a biography's chiefest feature is the exhibition of the character of the man whose biography is being set forth roosevelt's biographer will light up the president's career step by step mile after mile through his life's course with illuminating episodes and incidents 
he should set one of the lamps by the Morris incident, for it indicates character. It is a thing which probably could not have happened in the White House under any other president who has ever occupied those premises. Washington wouldn't call the police and throw a lady out over the fence. I don't mean that Roosevelt would. I mean that Washington wouldn't have any Barneses in his official family. It is the Roosevelts that have the Barneses around. That private secretary was perfectly right in refusing access to the president. The president can't see everybody on everybody's private affairs, and it is quite proper, then, that he should refuse to see anybody on a private affair, treat all the nation alike. That is a thing which has been done, of course, from the beginning until now. People have always been refused admission to the president on private matters, every day, from Washington's time to ours. The secretaries have always carried their point. Mr. Barnes carried his. But, according to the president in office at the time, the methods have varied. One president's secretary has managed it in one way. Another president's secretary has managed it in another way. But it never would have occurred to any previous secretary to manage it by throwing the lady over the fence. Theodore Roosevelt is one of the most impulsive men in existence. That is the reason why he has impulsive secretaries. President Roosevelt probably never thinks of the right way to do anything. That is why he has secretaries who are not able to think of the right way to do anything. We naturally gather about us people whose ways and dispositions agree with our own. Mr. Roosevelt is one of the most likable men that I am acquainted with. I have known him and have occasionally met him, dined in his company, lunched in his company, for certainly twenty years. I always enjoy his society. He is so hearty, so straightforward, outspoken, and for the moment so absolutely sincere. These qualities endear him to me when he is acting in his capacity of private citizen. They endear him to all his friends. But when he is acting under the impulse as president, they make him a sufficiently queer president. He flies from one thing to another with incredible dispatch, throws a somersault, and is straightway back again where he was last week. He will then throw some more somersaults, and nobody can foretell where he is finally going to land after the series. Each act of his, and each opinion expressed, is likely to abolish or controvert some previous act or expressed opinion. This is what is happening to him all the time as president. But every opinion that he expresses is certainly his sincere opinion at that moment, and it is as certainly not the opinion which he was carrying around in his system three or four weeks earlier, and which was just as sincere and honest as the latest one. No, he can't be accused of insincerity, 
that is not the trouble his trouble is that his newest interest is the one that absorbs him absorbs the whole of him from his head to his feet and for the time being it annihilates all previous opinions and feelings and convictions he is the most popular human being that has ever existed in the united states and that popularity springs from just these enthusiasms of his these joyous ebullitions of excited sincerity it makes him so much like the rest of the people they see themselves reflected in him they also see that his impulses are not often mean they are almost always large fine generous he can't stick to one of them long enough to find out what kind of a chick it would hatch if it had a chance but everybody recognizes the generosity of the intention and admires it and loves him for it end of section twenty nine new york january tenth nineteen o six